Well, in this second of our preaching series called Dangerous Generosity, I thought that it was certainly important for us to deal with the issue in the context of generosity, to deal with the topic of service. All service is good. Not all service is generous service. All of it's productive, all of it's helpful, even when service is offered with less than pure motives. It usually meets a need, and it's appreciated. And in this text that we're going to read in just a second, you would read it and think all negative uh, as you read it. But the fact is, there's good stuff going on in this text, and this will make sense to you in a second as we read it, good stuff going on to you uh, in this text that Jesus appreciates, responds to with, uh, a, 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 with teaching that's encouraging and corrective at the same time. This is about a request to be able to serve. And the request reveals a certain level of faith that there will even be a kingdom to serve, that Jesus will be, in fact, enthroned in the midst of all kinds of problems he's having, of pronouncements he's made about how tough it's going to be. Folks that come to Jesus uh, in this text that we're going to read assume that all of that's going to happen. So really great faith is shown, even if it's imperfectly communicated. Because Jesus appreciates any service with any motive. It's good. It helps people. But not all service is generous service. So we're going to link the idea of generosity and service today and see what we can learn about the difference between service and generous service. Between uh, service that is good and service that has swagger, you know, service that really reveals something special. Last week, I defined generosity as the virtue of giving good and helpful things to others freely, liberally, abundantly. And with that definition of generosity, we move into the idea of generous service. Service that gives good and helpful things to others freely, liberally, abundantly. And we're not just talking about things you can put in your pocket, measurable things, talking about emotionally measurable things like encouragement, like love, like forgiveness. To give these things generously, freely, liberally, abundantly is also an expression of generosity. Every Sunday for the past several months, we were going to be here for four, four months, it turned into five and a half months probably, uh, before we're done, we thought when we first started our project up on the hill there, the contractor said, now if you guys vacate the hill, we can do this job in four months, four months, start to finish. And, and they weren't able to do that, mostly because of other forces, not our contractor. They've been fabulous. You can thank God for those, that contractor every day uh, from our experience. But we ended up being here probably looks like five and a half months, and it's going to be closer to six or six and a half months probably before every uh, I is dotted up on the hill. Maybe even a little bit more than that, some lingering things. But for all that time, there have been some unseen, unheralded servants taking care of things here so that we could worship here. They have come... Excuse me. I'm going to cough, guys. <coughs> 
they have come early to our property and picked up a trailer that we bought for this purpose. Before we had that trailer, a servant went and searched for one so that we could, and negotiated the purchase of it. And then parked it on the place. And then servants who work in our children's ministry have figured out what needs to go in the trailer and what doesn't. And then organized the loading of it so that it's easy to unload when we get here. And they have gone to where their classrooms used to be all ready to go, picked up boxes. If you come over here an hour or two before we worship, before 10, get here at 7.30 or 8 o'clock, you'll see people carrying boxes, setting up rooms, carrying monitors and setting up televisions and taking it all down again and putting it back in the trailer, unloading the trailer, and then loading it after we're done, setting up sound and video systems in this room, setting up display tables in the back and in the hallways, rehearsing the band. Our band normally uh, would have uh, a drum kit and everything, you know, kind of happening there. I like this style as well. But they normally would worship on a Thursday evening or sometime during the week and then come back and do a run-through on Sunday morning. Well, we don't have that option when we're here, so they have to come early and do their entire rehearsal Sunday morning. And these are not studio musicians. Most of them are volunteer musicians who really love playing, and they do a pretty good job, I think, for the time they have to work things out. But they come and they give all that time. And, and most of them are, do, are rehearsing alone during the week at home knowing what the songs are going to be and seeing if they can't figure it out uh, and, and contribute on Sunday morning. There are people early here praying, receiving and counting offerings. The offerings we give here, which by the way, is the only way we fund our ministry is through your giving. Uh, and so thank you for being so faithful in that. But people come receive this offering. Then they have to have, to have a whole structure to where it's uh, accountable. Go over to our building, count it. I shouldn't tell you the plan because you could stick them up, rob them on the way, you know. <laughs> Come back here and try to minimize the amount of worship experience they miss. There's a lot more steps, people serving without recognition. Reloading the trailer, delivering it back to the church, staying behind uh, at our property when we had transitions. So when we, the first two months that we were here, we had ushers at our property staring at trailers and tractors and things like that in case anybody hadn't gotten the word or in case somebody had just shown up there. We have signs up, but we, had, we wanted a personal touch. So we had people that volunteered to go over there and just wait for folks to show up so they could say, you're not too late. Here's a map. Here's where you go for worshiping. The Sunday that we had worship, one Sunday a couple weeks ago at the Sheridan Four Points because this was rented, we had people who volunteered to come over here and stand in the hallway while the other event, whatever it was that was going on here, and redirect people over to the Sheridan Four Points. All sorts of folks who Sunday after Sunday silently serve. And in every case, the service of these folks has been not only significant, but also generous. And that's what we're going to look at today. The difference between service and generous service. What is it that makes something Generous service. What is it that makes service the mature kind of service that Jesus talks about? Would you stand please? And we're going to read this morning's text from Matthew chapter 20. Two gospels record this event. One of the gospels has the mother of John and James coming and speaking to Jesus. The other gospel just has John's and James, John and James coming to speak to Jesus the most inclusive story is probably the way it happened. But either way, 
the apostles knew what their mother was going to say and were right there with her. All three were nodding as she spoke. Matthew has uh, their mother coming in. We'll read that right now. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? Jesus asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. See, there's the faith part. I'm assuming you're going to have a kingdom. And there's no hint that that's not any, there's nothing showing that right then. They're just around a campfire probably. And Jesus responds, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, and now he's speaking to the sons, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And when the ten, the other uh, future apostles, heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. May God add his blessing to his holy word, his fully inspired message to us. Go ahead and be seated. The difference between service and generous service. Service that warrants swagger and service that doesn't. Service that is beautiful and service that sort of, you might call ratchet. You know, I mean, nasty, swollen, broken, stinky. Even though it's given with the best of intentions. We're going to look at some of those differences. First, in verse 22. Generous service always involves sacrifice. I mean, you feel it when the service is generous. And that's shown in the question Jesus asks in verse 22. He says, they say, here we go. Serve, we want to serve you. We want to serve your kingdom. One at the left, one at the right. Uh, but you're the main person, but... We want these positions and we'll be there for you. So it's not altogether bad. It looks a little stinky when we first see it. Like you guys just kind of, what, you want to be the first lieutenant? You want to be the second lieutenant? The other 10 are indignant. They recognize a little bit. They were put off by this request a little bit. But it's not altogether bad because these guys implied in the question is the commitment, the, the, the assumption that Jesus will in fact have a kingdom. But there's sacrifice involved in this. And Jesus asks them in verse 22, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus says. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And they say, we can. That's more than a question like, are you willing to drink the cup? And their answer is more than, yes, we're willing. We'll, we're willing to try. We're willing to go there. This is a question, do you have the power in you? Do you have the strength in you? Because it's going to take some strength to drink the cup that I'm going to drink. And they said, yes, we have that power. Yes, 
we can. It's the same word from which we get our word dynamite. You got the, the explosive stuff in you to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? They say yes. In the Old Testament, the idea of the cup always talks about experiences. So, hey, we're gonna, we have a tough cup to drink if we're going to climb Mount Everest. That's the sense of this idea of I mean, the cup, that, drinking the cup. That's code for you willing to experience what I'm going to have to experience. And Jesus has been talking in the broader context, remember, about the Son of Man must suffer. The Son of Man's going to be rejected. This is going to be a tough hill we climb. You, you want that meal? He said, we can eat that meal. And your first thought when you read this is, Jesus is talking about passion, death. Are you guys willing to die like I'm going to die? You're going to go to the cross, I'm going to die. You're going to die a martyr's death. Except that only one of those two died a martyr's death. Jesus said, okay, then indeed you will drink the cup. What he's probably talking about here is something more general than literal death. He's talking about hardship. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have to make sacrifices. Things are going to have to die in you even, even if the, you don't have literal death. Now, James was one of the first, he was the first apostle martyred. If you look at Acts chapter 12, verse 2, you see the reference to James being martyred. So one of these guys did die a literal death early. John lived apparently into his 90s, certainly at a ripe old age, but his whole life, and some would say John had the tougher assignment because he lived an entire life of deaths. He was stoned, he was rejected, uh, he was put out, he was, he, he was, he was uh, tortured. For Christ, and then he experienced exile and lived a long life, but it was a series of deaths of sacrifice. The generous servant is a sacrificial servant, patterning his or her life after Jesus. It's a life of sacrifice. It's a life of bruises and pains that are noble and full of joy. It's a life of giving. You feel that kind of service. Luther said, the flesh ever seeks to be glorified before it's crucified, exalted before it's abased. And isn't that true? We seek to be glorified. We seek to be recognized. We seek the feel good in life without the pain. My little phrase that you've heard before, everybody wants to live in the mansion, but nobody wants to pay the rent. And that's the way we are unless there's a generous service. It's always good, but it always involves significant sacrifice. Second mark of the generous servant. Generous service is always marked by sacrifice, always involves sacrifice, and it's always marked by humility. And I think this is the tough part, especially for American Christendom. And then I don't think that kind of struggle is unique to Marin, but we're good at it. Struggling with anonymity, struggling with not being recognized, struggling against the idea that we can just be a quiet, humble servant. You don't usually get to a place where you can live in a, one of the most expensive, power-driven, power-packed places in the United States, which this county is, by being humble. That's not the perception. It's the truth, but it's not the perception. Generous service is always marked by humility. Look at verses 24 and following him. Jesus offers his gentle encouragement and correction. He hears this. Uh, they hear this. They're indignant. And Jesus calls them together because he sees a split. He sees a division here. And he says, you understand what's happened? 
The parents have just come, I mean, the children have just come to the parents' house and started putting their names on stuff for when the parents die. And, and the second oldest sister got there first and had the pen first, and the other two siblings, what do you, they're mad about. That's kind of the attitude that was going on here. And Jesus calls him and says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over. They, they have this power and they're supposed to be servants of the people, but they're not servants. They're lording it over the people. And that's not the way we do things in this upside down subversive kingdom. If you want to be great in this kingdom, the kingdom that you've just asked to serve in, you've got to be the servant of all. In fact, Jesus says, I want you to go so far as to being the bond servant of all, an indebted servant. It's marked by humility. I got a phone call this morning, a, f- a FaceTime actually with my friend in London, Kim Swithenbank. They're going to be here to visit in a week or two. And they have a retreat center in London in the Cotswolds, and they're trying to figure out how to, you know, how to fund it and how to make it work and how to get people to it. And he was talking with somebody who's getting advice from over in uh, Washington. And they said, oh, if you're going to get people to support your retreat center in the Cotswolds. You, you can't just ask them to give money. You have to give them something. So you have to say, well, your name will be on a brick or we'll have a beam, one of the because this is like a 200-year-old estate that they got and they're fixing it all up for a retreat center. They have to have their names on the beam, burned them into the beam or something. And he said, Ott, what do you think of that? Should people get their names on a beam for giving to the vine? And my, I was a little upset with that. And I said, if they do that, that's not really a gift then, is it? It's an investment. Because you're giving something, but you're getting something back. There's no humility in that. A true gift is a gift. And you don't need anything back for it. In Matthew 18... Jesus has that little lesson about the children. Don't, stop, don't hinder the children from coming to me. They were bringing the children to Jesus to be blessed. And the apostles are, oh, he's too busy for that. He does, he's a celebrity, man. I mean, come on. He doesn't have time for that. And Jesus is put off by that, by their statement. And he says, stop hindering the children from coming to me. It's a now statement. Let them climb on me like I'm their favorite tree. I, I want to be a jungle gym for them. Bring them to me. And he blessed them. Remember, can you just picture Jesus bringing the, the children coming and he's smiling and it's like his favorite moment of the day. And he strokes their little heads and kisses them. He can't quit kissing them. It's like Jesus is his big grandpa. And they're climbing and laughing and he, he looks them in the eye and he offers blessings to each one. Oh, I bless you with this gift. Oh, I bless you with that gift. You'll be this kind of a great woman of God. You'll be this kind of a great man of God. And he calls them by name, and their eyes are this big. And I think Jesus was the kind of guy that would do what we do as grandparents, make faces and all kinds of silly names. Have fun with the kids. That's our Jesus. And he says, unless you enter the kingdom of God like these. Now he's speaking to the apostles. You don't enter at all. There's a humility in children. Unless you come like a child, dependent, humble, 
in a way that only children understand, not quite aware of yourself yet. See, think about it. Children are not aware of themselves yet. They don't know that that shirt doesn't go with those rain boots, and you don't wear those rain boots with the short shorts like that. You just don't, do, you don't go outside like that. And you, children don't know yet, like one of the little guys used to do, he's just college graduate and married now, but with his own kids. But when I was, he used to have one of those Dutch boy haircuts, you know, with the straight blonde hair, and he came to church with his six shooters on. Every, and he was cuter than cute. Now, in Oregon, that worked, you know? So he'd come with his six shooters on and tell me what a cowboy he was. Cool, if you want to bring your fake six shooters, come on. And, uh, or, or like here at our church, we have, we have one family, and they have the cutest little boys. In fact, they just had a third one. Now they're, they're living out east. But they used to come every single Sunday with a new toy or something to show me. They didn't know yet that it wasn't cool to wear a Spider-Man mask to worship. It never occurred to them that 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 looked out of place because children haven't yet developed an awareness of themselves, a self-obsession. There's a humility in generous service that looks a lot like a child. And with it, there's an anonymity. Jesus says, these leaders, the way they do it in the world you're used to, the Roman world really is what he would be referring to here, they lord it over everybody. They lord it over them, and not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. There's a childlike indifference in generous service, and there's an anonymity in generous service. Not just a willing to be anonymous, a willingness to be anonymous, an insistence on anonymity. Generous service doesn't demand public acclaim. It doesn't need to be recognized for the chair it's sitting in or for what it's done. The need for recognition in the generous service is met and in fact lost in the joy of a redemptive story. The only payback a generous servant needs and the only recognition a generous servant needs comes from the divine nod he or she receives. Now, this is being said to you by a guy, my, my Myers-Briggs letters, when you look at the analysis of my Myers-Briggs, it says, needs much affirmation. <laughs> How do you respond to a whatever I am, E-S-F-J or something like that? Needs, what am I, Lance? Where are you? Needs much affirmation. And so if you want to do well with art and be able to work with art, make sure you give them lots of affirmation. So I'm aware that I'm contradicting my own experience here. But I've found that it feels better to me when I get lots of affirmation from my service, but I grow more spiritually when I get no affirmation from my service. It's actually better for me to get no affirmation. Now, don't take that too far, folks. (laughs) But it's true. And it's in those moments where, you know, when... This is a confession, a public confession of sin when spectacular Jeff Mazzarello knocks the ball out of the park when he preaches, which is like every time he preaches. And I stand back there and Satan whispers and says, you know, they'd rather have him than you. It's at those times when I say, okay, Lord, why don't you and I lean into that and we'll grow from it. 
And the Lord says to me, Art, 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 when will I be enough for you? Why do you always have to kiss that other lady too? The generous servant says, the divine nod of affirmation is my reward. I don't need public recognition. And there is the scar of the evangelical church in America. We don't give generously of our service. We make an investment sometimes with our service. And for my service, which is good and helpful, I'd like to have some return. My name on a beam, my name on a brick, a plaque with my name on a pew, some public record, call me up like you did Lisa and let me tell everybody what I did. Did you know that I made this kind of sacrifice and you never once mentioned it? You never called me? That's a good challenge for us to grow because that's not generous service. And I don't mean that as a rebuke. I mean it as an opportunity to grow, a challenge. Let's go deeper. We give in secret, Jesus said. And then our Heavenly Father, who sees in secret, rewards, and then implied in that statement is in secret. That's the divine nod. You can tell, you know, who you're really serving by identifying the person from whom you need recognition. That's the best sign for you, to know who you're really serving. If I need recognition from you, Alan, it's you that I was actually serving, not the Lord. If I only need recognition from him, I can live with that kind of anonymity and feel good about it. That's a really mature service. So generous service always involves sacrifice. You always feel it. It's always marked by humility. And you have the reference, of course, then to not only the servant, but the bond slave. You, 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 you loan yourself to somebody with no need for anything in return. And finally, generous service always leads to greatness. In other words, the kind of service that's sacrificial, the kind of service that, that's humble service, is the road, is the gateway to true greatness. Jesus said to them, you're going to drink this cup. The Lord's going to, the Father decides who sits where, who gets recognition. And then he says to the ten, you know that the rulers and Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. They have power based on how much money they've earned, how much education they have, what position they have, and they get all into all this stuff. This is the Jesus, by the way, who in other places said, in the way we do things, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Everybody has equal value. But he goes on in this text, and he says, not so with you, whoever wants to become what? Great. Think of that. To become great as God defines great. must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. This kind of generous service always leads to true greatness. That's what greatness really is. It's humility. It's sacrifice. It's anonymity. Knowing that God sees and that's enough. Christianity is a way of opposites. Where the way up is down, 
And the road to greatness passes through the gateway of faithful obscurity, significant obscurity. The commentator R.C. Lenski put it this way, we have too many little popes in the church, he said, who dictate instead of serving or slaving. Greatness is measured, the quote goes on, by service, not power and authority arrogated or assumed. Not power and authority arrived at. You know, it just shows up in your lap or assumed. Greatness is measured by service. There's service and there's generous service. We wanted to take this morning to look at generous service. I'm going to conclude by reading some of the other words of Jesus. Let this help things seep in. And then we're going to end our time together by receiving a second offering that I'll explain in a second. That gives us a chance to express the very things we're talking about today. But listen to Jesus. He's the leader who says things like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Hear the humility in all of this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. By the way, that's a great encouragement to those of us who know how to stumble, isn't it? My heart longs for something I'm unable to acquire. Keep reaching for something better. I hunger for that. Jesus says, you know what? You're going to get it one day. Keep hungering. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you or disappoint with you. Say all kinds of things falsely against you because of your commitment to me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the leader who said in Luke chapter 14. Began speaking a parable to the invited guests. When he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table. Saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast. Do not take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give up this place to this man and then disgrace you. Give the man first place, this other person first place at the table. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place at the table so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, a higher ranking at the table where you're seated. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you, for everyone, here's the key, everyone who exalts him or herself will be humbled. This is Jesus speaking. We either believe him or we don't. Everyone who humbles him or herself will be exalted. There's another group of unheralded servants that has blessed us here at the NBC Suite. And this is the group we're going to focus on as we receive this offering just before your dismissal. So ushers, get ready to pass the plates. If you want to respond uh, to this other group, 
Uh, you want to write a check, make that check out to Marine Covenant. We'll make sure that we're not going to keep any of this offering, by the way. We're going to give it all. And that's the group of Embassy Suites employees. And here's our plan. Next Sunday, we want to surprise, we want to blow them away. We want to, we want to give them a gift next Sunday that they're not anticipating. And we want to give in such a way that they never forget how much we appreciated them. So that long into their lives, the people that are often forgotten here, that made it possible for us to be here, that were so sweet for these weeks that we were here, and they were magnificent. We want them to remember that the greatest blessing they ever had, the most outstanding memory they have of any client that was at the Embassy Suites, came from the Church of Christ. Nobody treated us like that church. My goodness. God must be good. That's what we're trying to do here. They are the people who vacuum and set up chairs and set the thermostat and turn on the overhead speakers and set up the coffee table and bring the water jugs and grab the tables if we say we need extra. And you know that there are hidden hallways in this hotel that are not orderly at all. There's stuff up against the walls. They can run and grab it. And that's where they live. That's where they wander. That's where they go to serve us. This room looks all nice. The hallways are where they work. Nobody sees them. Nobody recognizes them. They're invisible. They don't know it. They didn't ask it. But they are about to be blown away by a blessing, unexpected blessing, from the people of God at Marin Covenant Church. And this giving will reflect not only on our church, but on the entire Christian community in Marin. We want to bless the generous servants of our time here in a way that they understand that they were appreciated. So with that, uh, we're going to dismiss in just a moment, but before we do, I want to take this offering. And ushers, want you to come forward. And if you can't give uh, a financial offering, then as that uh, plate is passed, offer a prayer of appreciation and a prayer of blessing in ways that you don't even know people need it uh, so that everybody gives uh, to these folks. But we're not keeping any of these financial gifts these are all going to go uh, to the workers here. God, would you take these gifts that we offer and use them to express love and appreciation uh, that we have for our servants here at this hotel.